Amen. This morning we continue our study from the book of 1 Corinthians. Today we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. found on page 959 in the Bibles that are provided for you there in the rows, if you would like to follow along with me. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not, make it, would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of he- where would be the sense of the hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we uh, are fed by your word. Open our hearts and our minds to the truth, Lord. I pray that you would increase our love for you and for one another. Lord, I pray that the fruit of of this message would lead to a greater unity among your church, among your local church, among New Hope Christian Fellowship, Lord, that that we truly would be a people that, 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 that grieves together and rejoices together in the individual circumstances that are faced, Lord, that we would love one another well, that we would support one another better, Lord, that we would grow together in you. Lord, we confess that that this is an area that that we lack and that we need to do better in. So Lord, I pray that you would grow us for our good and for your glory. As your spirit works through your word, I ask in Christ's name, amen. Now, this week, this past week on Thursday, I had the opportunity to meet with my discipleship group and we were... Uh, in addition to talking about where where we are in life and the different challenges that, that we may be facing, uh, uh, the discussion at one point turned to what we've been studying in 1 Corinthians and, and where we are now here in, in chapters 12 through 14, which uh, quite honestly has, uh, has been 
one of the most divisive sections in, in the Bible in, as it relates to the history of the church, specifically, let's be honest, the church in America, over the past 100 or so years. And one of the things that, 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 that came out of that conversation and, and has come up even in other conversations since then is, is the irony of the fact that, that where we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians, these three chapters, Paul is writing to unify the church. So if there was ever a time when, when we can look and, and say that we have missed the point as the body of Christ, this is it. Now, over the past several months, we've learned a lot about the Corinthians. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know what I'm about to, to tell you about now because I remind you week after week of what Paul is writing to correct. He's writing to a people who were... What? Divided, right? We, we, we talk about divisions on the basis of, of which leader was followed in the church. We, we've talked about division on the, on the basis of lawsuits, trying to establish who had dominance socially in, in the church. We've talked about divisions that, that, that erupted within the church because some were not just allowing for an immoral relationship, but they were approving of an immoral relationship within the church. We, we've written about, uh, talked about the divisions that that existed in the context of Christian liberty. Some were exercising rights they felt they had to the detriment of other brothers and sisters in the church. We, we've looked at divisions as it's related to even their celebration of the Lord's Supper, where the rich were, 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 were eating and being full while the poor were going hungry. And here in chapters 12 through 14, now we see that they were even divided over the gifts God's Spirit had, had equipped the church with for the good of the church. Now last week we, we took a break from 1 Corinthians to, to, to celebrate the, the, uh, the resurrection of our Lord. But if you were here two weeks ago, you, 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 you remember these words from the Apostle Paul. I'm going to read chapter 12, verses 1 through 11 for the sake of context. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, remember we talked about this. Paul wasn't giving a, a litmus test to, to say this is what, how you recognize a, a sound teacher versus a, a false teacher, but he's painting a picture between those who have the Spirit of God and those who are unregenerate. And then he goes on in verse 4 to, to, to talk about evidence of the Spirit of God. God's Spirit uh, are gifts to the church through the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let that be in your minds as we look at the rest of the passage uh, of this chapter today. For the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, so the presence of spiritual giftedness in the church and, and, and we learned last week and if you weren't here you need to know this because it really does shape our understanding of, of where Paul is going in this entire section. When you see the word gifts 
of the Spirit, our gifts in relation to the Spirit, it's the Greek word charisma. Charisma. But, but what often goes overlooked is the fact that that, that that word charisma is used in reference not just to, to, to what we would think of as charismatic gifts, like speaking in tongues, healings, things like that are listed. But throughout Scripture, we see the, the word charisma used in reference to all of God's gifts to the church. Back in chapter 7, Paul writing on marriage and singleness, he says, to, to each one has been given a gift, whether they're married or, or the gift of singleness. It's the same word, charisma. Charisma is used in, in relation to salvation. Charisma is, is used in relation even to, to positions that are held in the context of the church. God's gift of, of leadership and order within his church. So, it's a broad word that describes how God, through His grace, God has given gifts to His church. I want you to, to have a broader view, but because some of the reason of the, of the confusion around chapters 12 through 14 in, in 1 Corinthians, especially as it relates to the American church, and now, unfortunately, because we exported it around the world, is because we've, we, we've taken this word charisma and we've applied it Narrowly, when Scripture does it much more broadly. And Paul's point here is along those lines. The division that existed was between those who were exercising what would appear to be more supernatural gifts, the speaking in tongues, the healing, the, the miracles, versus those who, who may have had the, the gift of helps or, or administration or things like that. And so you had those who, who viewed themselves as really being endowed by the Spirit. And then others who were perhaps looked down upon or even in their own dissatisfaction with how God had equipped them, being jealous. And so there were divisions that existed over the good things that God had done. So this section, these chapters are a unifying call to the church. And we must see them as such. Whether you hold to the continuation of, of the sign gifts or you do not... The call of, of, of Christ on our lives through the teaching of 1 Corinthians is that we be unified in Christ. This morning we're going to tackle this passage under three headings. The, the, the first is seen is in verses 12 and 13, a glorious truth illustrated. And I'm going to, 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 to talk quickly this morning, so I want you to listen quickly. But, but these are all things that we're going to see Paul address again as we move forward through these chapters. First of all, a glorious truth illustrated, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, we see what Paul's doing here. He's, he's using a, a metaphor to, to, to describe what the church is. The, the, this, the division that, that existed in Corinth has been well chronicled. I, I have tried to be faithful to remind you of it often. And so Paul pulls out an illustration, a metaphor that we can all understand, we can all relate to, whether we live in Corinth or whether we live in Lancaster County or York County today. The body, we all have them, do we not? So Paul uses this image to, 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 to help them see that they were dependent on one another. So the glorious truth here is that the, the church, though made up of individuals, ultimately is a group of individuals that is to come together as one body. And the gifts of the Spirit are designed to work together for the health and the good of the church. 
Just as our physical bodies are made up of various parts, the, the head, the, the, the torso, the arms, the legs, the feet, the eyes, the ears, nose and the mouth, internal organs and so on, so too the, the church body, although made up of individuals, must be joined together to be truly be the church. And this is a message that we need to hear because we live in a time that, where, where the primary focus of society is on the individual. And, and it's easy to think that way because our sinful tendency is to be self-centered to begin with, is it not? But the church, when, when healthy, breaks with society in this view by recognizing that God has designed the church in a way that means we depend on one another in order to be faithful. The, the Christian life was not designed to be lived in solitude, but within the context of a community of faith, a community of faith that's committed to one another. In verse 12, Paul points out that, that, that all that we are, that, that we are one body, because we share the same Lord. He writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. We're members of the church because we've been redeemed through faith in Christ. He makes us his people because he is the one who lived, died, and rose again to restore us to God. We are his people, brothers and sisters. We are his church. This is not my church. It's Christ's. Look around the room. Seriously, I, I'm not waxing eloquent. Look around the room. Keep looking. Each person here who has been saved through faith in Christ shares the same Lord and Savior. Now we've been brought into the church universal through faith in Christ, but it's clear from the teaching of Scripture there is also the understanding that that commitment and that belonging should also be displayed in the context of a local church. We are one with Farid's church in Indonesia. We are one with believers in Nigeria who are suffering persecution for their faith. But we are also to be one with one another in very visible and real and practical ways with those who are seated around you. Because we are the local church. This is a local expression of the church universal. And so it falls on us to seek to be as faithful as we can possibly be for the glory of God. Because this local expression of the church universal testifies to the non-believers around us of what it means to be in Christ. Verse 13, we also see that we share the same spirit. Verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This baptism of the spirit that Paul is, is referencing is, is the act of the Holy Spirit indwelling a believer at the point of conversion which continues to, throughout their lives. Well, why do I say that? Well, it's simple. Because not everyone in Corinth, as we stated earlier, practiced the, the sign gifts of speaking in tongues or healings. So Paul is saying, listen, whether the work of the Spirit expresses itself in that way or, or some other giftedness, Corinthians, you need to understand that you all have the same Spirit. He's breaking down that dividing wall. This is not some type of second blessing that, 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 uh, that, that some 
teach, uh, churches teach. This is not what Paul is referencing. Why? Because he says we were all baptized into one body. Every Christian is indwelled by the, by the Holy Spirit, no matter what nationality, whether they were Jews or Greeks in the context of Corinth. Or what social standing, slaves are, are free. All who believed had the, had the Spirit living within them. It's important that we see that because, again, I mentioned before that, that the chapters 12 through 14 have been hijacked by the American church. And it's important that we understand that as Paul writes these words, he is writing to all the believers in Corinth. All the believers. There's not some second order of, or first order of, of higher spirituality. He wants them all to see that they have the same spirit, no matter what that manifestation of gifts may look like. If it seems like I'm belaboring this point, well, I am. I am because I want you to recognize, brothers and sisters, that, that the unity that we're called to in Christ, and we're going to see it really spelled out next week in, in, the, in the famous love chapter, that might be the, the greatest evidence of the work of the Spirit in our lives, that we have love for one another. This reminds us of the nature of salvation. No matter what family we were born into or what our station of life may be, we all deserved death. We all deserved eternal, eternal separation from God. Hell. And the remedy for our fallen state is the same for everyone. It's through faith in Christ that we are reconciled to God. We cannot be good enough. We cannot be gifted enough. We cannot be rich enough, and so on. We were all in the same boat, a sinking boat, bound for hell, and Jesus saved us and then sealed us with his Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's talking about when he talks about we've all been baptized into the same body in one spirit, that, that sealing of the Spirit, the Spirit's mark on our lives that we belong to Christ. And Paul's point is simple. Because this is true, how can there be divisions within the church? The glorious truth is that we who were spiritually dead because of what Jesus has done for us, we are now His. We're His body. And just as a healthy body needs all of its members, its parts to function properly, so also do we need one another to truly be the church. In, in verses 14 through 26, Paul continues his metaphor, and he does so as a corrective to the church in Corinth. Let's look at verses 14 through 26, a lesson in unity. Paul continues, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not, not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that we think uh, uh, that seem to be weaker are, are, ind are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, a closer look at these verses reveals that, that Paul really is addressing two different groups in these verses. The, the first group was those who felt passed over or unimportant in the church. These were the ones who did not speak in tongues or, or possess the other gifts which were being elevated in the church in Corinth. Paul uses the, the, the parts of the body that get less attention to illustrate their position in verses 14 through 16. 
He writes, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So what's the point here? Our feet are important, are they not? It's an important part of the body, but it does not get the attention our hands get when it comes to usage, right? We, we don't give much thought to our feet until there's something going wrong with them. But we use our hands constantly. Some of us even talk with our hands. The same is, is true with the ear. The ear is a vital part of a healthy body, but we don't give it much thought until they don't work properly. Our eyes, on the other hand, get the attention Right? With them, we see. We're also complimented about them. You don't don't hear many compliments about the ears, do you? But oh, you've got the the most beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen. Well, thank you. Or the most captivating green eyes. or, Or the deepest brown eyes. But we don't hear much about our dangling earlobes, do we? Well, you might not. But in Paul's metaphor, the, 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 the foot and the ear are discouraged because they don't get the same honor that the hand and the eye receive. They, they want to jump ship. They want to move me from the, from the body because they don't feel important. But Paul's point is simple. Not, not feeling like you're a part of the body or you're important to the body does not make you any less a part of the body. It's great encouragement in those words. Those who were feeling passed over or unimportant in Corinth could claim that they weren't a part of the church or even an important part, but this did not make it true. Paul continues his corrected to this group in verses 17 through 20. He says, If the whole body were an eye, that glorious member... Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And and the point is clear. I think it's simple. Those who were feeling marginalized because they did not manifest certain spiritual gifts, were, were looking at things from the wrong perspective. They were looking at the, at, the, at, the, at the people who were gifted rather than the giver of the gift. Every gift of God's grace, every charisma is giving, given according to God's wisdom and, and plan for the church and for the good of the church. That's verse 18. Brothers and sisters, the church is healthiest as Christians employ the gifts God has given them individually for the good, for the good of the church. Just as our bodies consist of many parts, so too the church is made up of brothers and sisters with varying gifts by which, God, which by God's design go together to make us healthy. But Paul is not through with his corrective. And in this second group of verses, he, he, he corrects another group. Verses 21 through 26. This is to those who were manifesting the, 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 the more public gifts of the Spirit. He continues, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
So just as the, the ear and the hand couldn't say that they weren't really part of the body, neither can the eye or the head say to the hand or the feet that they have no need of them either. So can you see the difference there? But before, it's those passed over organs saying, no, we're not part, we're not good like those guys. But the other side of the coin is, hey, these, the, 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 these great parts of the body, they get the attention. They, they can't look at the other parts and say, we don't need you either. So Paul's hitting both groups. Saying, listen, church, you've got to come together. And his point is clear. We need one another in the church, each and every one of us. It was true in Corinth. It is true at New Hope. And I want you to let that sink in and, and allow it to challenge how you view the church. Now, a few moments ago, I had you look around at one another. I won't do it this time. But remember who you saw? You cannot do the Christian life faithfully without the people that you are looking around at. God has designed that, that there would be mutual dependence on one another in the church, and he ensures that this will be the case by gifting individuals differently within the church for the common good of everyone. The eye needs the hand to, to shade it from the sun or, or to remove things that irritate it. The eye needs the hand to, to reach for and to manipulate the things that it sees. Without the, the, the hand, the eye can only look. But with the hand, amazing things take place. Now, as an aside, I think it's interesting that in the first set of verses, the eye and the hand were, were both the glamorous and the, or desirable parts of the body. But here in verse 21, Paul presents a hierarchy even among the more desirable gifts. The eye needs the hand, just as the hand needs the feet. There's doesn't matter where you fit on his metaphorical scale. The call to unity is the same. The eye can look down on the, on the hand in pride, pardon the pun, but, but without the, the feet, the head can't get very far, right? We, we think with our heads. We decide what we want to do. We reason. We formulate sentences and communicate. But, but if we want to, to get these heads and these ideas and these words somewhere else, what do we have to do? You've got to move your feet. And Paul says, even for the head, just as the eye can't look down on the hand, we, the head can't look down on the feet. In verses 14 through 20, it was an addressing of those who felt sorry for themselves. And in 21 through 26, he, he warns against the pride for those who saw their gifts as greater than the rest. In fact, we, we see in verses 22 through 26 that there should be such a care and concern for one another in the church that those with the more public gifts actually have an obligation to care for those whose gifts are weaker or less public in nature. The, the parts of the body that seem weaker aren't weaker in, in the sense that you tend to think of weak. He, he's talking about public function. They, they differ in the function in the church. The, the person gifted in teaching plays a public role in the church, while, while the person who has the gift of encourage, encouragement or, or mercy may be terrified of public ministry, but their care individually for those in the church is just as important. It's just as vital, but that's what Paul means by weaker. Not that it's less valuable, just that it's less visible. Both ministries, teaching and mercy and encouragement, are, are essential, are vital for a healthy church. In fact, Paul points out that we should seek to give greater honor to those whose gifts are less public in nature. And I think verses 22 through 26 are a, are a beautiful picture of what our attitude should be towards one another in the church. Let me read them to you again. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, for which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body 
giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now this metaphor truly is the the gift that keeps on giving because we can relate to it. Let's continue with the foot as an example. When when you think about it, the foot is a weak part of the body. Don't believe me? Well, just think about the last time you, you stubbed your toe or stepped on a Lego barefooted in the middle of the night. When you stand on your feet, you put all your weight on your feet, which means everything you step on is also affected by the weight of your body as well. Not only that, feet stink. Well, yours do. So what do we do about our less honorable feet? We put shoes on them, don't we? We, we protect them. We cover them. We encapsulate the smell that can emanate from them. But not only that, shoes make our feet feel good, don't they? They support them. So we care for and we protect our feet in a way that we don't do for the rest of our bodies. Right? But our bodies are more than just our feet. There are also certain parts of our bodies that must be covered for modesty's sake. Praise God. Contrary to the world's practices, brothers and sisters, it's a very good thing to wear clothing that covers the intimate parts of our bodies. Believe it or not, in this fallen world... They're not meant to be seen by just anyone. Just our spouses. And we honor our bodies by covering these parts. Now Paul is not advocating that we hide certain members of the church, but but he's describing uh, what's going on here as basically as a a picture uh, of adopting such a care for one another that our concern for the welfare of of one another then is greater than our desire for our own honor within the church. In in verse 26, Paul is hinting at at a greater love and a commitment to one another within the church. And if if you're familiar with this book, you know that that he's going much deeper on that in just a few verses in verse 13. But he's describing such a, a desire and care for one another that we go out of our way to make sure that we are recognizing and bestowing honor on one another in the context of the church so that everyone feels like a valuable part of the body of Christ. That's, that's the point here. We're, we're, we're not going to take the, the, the person who is a, a afraid of, of public speaking and, and lock them in a closet. But we want to recognize them and, and care for them in such a way that they recognize how valuable they are to the rest of the church. It's the, the picture that Paul is painting here. It's a beautiful picture. It, it really should, should, should serve to challenge each one of us to go out of our way to love one another in that way because this is God's design for the good of the church. Let's continue. Verses 27 through 31a, God's design for our good. Paul continues, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now this is the the second list that we encounter in, in chapters 12 through 14. 
that describes God's gifting to the church. And just like the last list, it's important that we remember that, that this is not designed to be exhausted. He, exhaustive. He's not uh, le- uh, listing every gift of God to the church. Remember, as Paul is writing the, the letter that we call 1 Corinthians, he is literally writing a portion of the Bible. The, the church, as understood in the New Testament, was in its infancy. And, they, and those in the churches were largely ignorant to the ways of God. They, they did not have the entire Bible as we do. So God sovereignly and supernaturally was at work in the church to provide for the church the authoritative truth that was so desperately needed. As Paul gives another short list of God's gift to the church, he, he begins with those who God used to lay the foundation of truth in the church. Let's consider the first three. Now, apostles primarily refers to, to the sent ones who had personally been commissioned by the resurrected Lord. In a secondary sense, we also see it applied from time to time to some who were associated with the ministries of the apostles, like Barnabas and Timothy and Titus and Silas. With there being a key difference in how we understand it in both the Greek and the English. When you hear Paul and Peter, John, the original disciples, plus Matthias and, and, and Paul mentioned, you hear them, or you read of them being referred to as apostles of the Lord. But when you see these who are associated with their ministries listed, they're mentioned as apostles of the church or messengers of the church. And it's a line of distinction that's drawn there as we read the New Testament. It helps us see that these writings were authoritative, but they were not the same, they didn't serve the same function that the apostles themselves served in establishing the church. But these were the men who were appointed by God in the, in the building of the church. They were the authoritative voice in leading and building the church. Now prophets in the New Testament sense were, were those who were commissioned to serve in a local Church, their their ministry centered on revelation for God, from God concerning matters that related to the local body, and and they were they they were adept at expounding or explaining other things that God had revealed. That's important to that remember that they were also subject to the apostles' authority. These prophets weren't allowed to speak on their own. What they prophesied about had to be in line with the authoritative. Te- authoritative teaching of the apostles, and they were also judged within the context of the local church by others who were prophets as well, and also the teaching of the church. Teachers were were those who had been equipped by the Holy Spirit to help others better understand what had been revealed through the instruction of the apostles and the prophets. Here you have this system that, that God has set up for the good of the church, because why? The Bible wasn't complete yet. These, these offices are, are, are gifts of grace to the church that were designed to, to help the church grow and flourish as the New Testament was being composed. Today, brothers and sisters, we have the complete Bible, and within the New Testament, we have the teaching of the apostles at our fingertips. The, the completed New Testament means that we, don't, we no longer need additional prophetic revelation from God as God has provided everything that we need for life and godliness in this present age through the indwelling Spirit of God. The, the completed Bible and the gift of the church. The role of the teacher continues within the church and, and authoritatively speaking, it is constrained by the Word of God. It's important that we remember that. From time to time, I I try to remind you that that my authority or anyone else preaching God's word from this pulpit, the authority only extends as far as the Bible says. We do not have a pope at New Hope. We worship the Lord. Those who serve, serve in roles for the good of the church and the glory of God. So my authority, brothers and sisters, extends no further 
than faithful exposition of Scripture. The last five gifts that Paul lists were those that the Spirit had bestowed on the, on the church for the common good. Miracles, as we said two weeks ago, were, were supernatural events that took place for the, for the good of the church. They, they served to strengthen their faith. We, we learned earlier in chapter 12 that, that Paul writes about gifts of miracles in the plural, which indicates that, that there was not a designated miracle worker in the church, but that God poured out his spirit as, as he saw fit for the, for the edification of the body and the expression of these miraculous occurrences. This is also true of the gift of healing. It was not a designated healer in the church, but, uh, but, but, but there were those who at various times were empowered by the Spirit for the purpose of healing in specific situations. In all of these, you see the, the purpose of the gifts is, is to draw our attention to the giver, not to those who had been gifted Helping could be understood as the gift of mercy, someone who has a heart and ability to care well for those who are facing affliction. Administrating is, is, could be best understood as the gift of leadership. The, the Greek word that's, uh, that's translated administrating literally means to, to steer the ship. So it's someone that God has, has gifted and equipped to, 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 to give the church direction and to lead well. Various kind of tongues. We, we spoke on this two weeks ago as well. Tongues were the, the gifting that enabled someone to speak in a language that was unknown to them. And remember, it was the Corinthians' abuse of this gift that, that was causing division within the church. In verses 29 through 31, Paul drives home his point with a series of questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And he closes, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. But, but the answer to each and one of the, every one of those questions is no. No, not everyone is an apostle. No, not everyone is a prophet. No, not everyone is a teacher. No, not all work miracles. No, no, did all pick all didn't possess the gifts of healing. No, all didn't speak in tongues. No, all didn't interpret. Paul says that's fine. <laughs> Verse 27, you are the body of Christ and individually members among it, of it. No matter what the manifestation of the Spirit's gifting you possess, you're the member of the church. You're a member of the body of Christ. Remember those two groups addressed earlier, those who were feeling passed over and, and those who were feeling proud. Both were looking at things incorrectly. And Paul's point is clear. No matter what the gifts, you are in Christ. God's design for the good of the church is that gifts bestowed by the Holy Spirit work for the common good and for the glory of God. The, the same spirit that inspired the apostles and the other writers of Scripture is the same spirit who illuminates, gives understanding as we read and study God's Word. The same spirit who enabled men and women to perform signs and wonders is the same spirit who enables His church to perform acts of mercy as well. No Christian in the church is non-essential and we must avoid the worldly, sinful approach of idolizing man rather than honoring the God who gives these gifts. We see in verse 30 that there's nothing wrong with longing for or desiring the more public gifts. But we will see next week that for the church there's an even greater gift that we must pursue. Brothers and sisters, each one of you is vital to the health of this church. Back in 2011, January, I think, 27th or 28th, don't check, the church voted to establish biblical membership the New Hope Christian Fellowship. And many different visions come to your mind when we talk about membership. If you're like me and, and, you, and you grew up in the South, once you got your name on a roll, it didn't matter if you darkened the door, 
It took an act of God to have that name removed from the list. That's not what we envision. That's not what we taught on. Membership at New Hope is centered on teaching just like this. Understanding that for us to be faithful in who God has called us to be as a local church that we commit to one another. But I don't see the, the word membership in the Bible. Well, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fine point to raise. But you cannot read the Bible honestly and come away with the attitude that God is unconcerned about our commitment to one another in the body of Christ. Call it something else if you need to, but understand that a commitment to and care for one another, however imperfectly we pull it out, and believe me, we all recognize that we should grow in this area. We want to grow in this area. We want to love one another well, but we cannot deny that if we are going to be faithful to our calling at New Hope Christian Fellowship, that, that we need not just be committed to the gospel, but we do, that we need to be not just be committed to, 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 to world missions, but we do, that we not just need to be committed to mercy missions in the community but we do but we must be committed to one another as well Jesus words to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another now that was a specific statement to a, to a specific group of people who were about to face persecution but it is a principle that we must remember they will know us not by our faithfulness to sound doctrine, which is important. They will know us not by the, the, the rich worship songs that we sing, but they will know us by our love. Not just for them, but how we love one another as well. That involves each one of us. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I confess Lord, I confess that as a pastor I feel ill-equipped. To love faithfully and consistently and even passionately as I should. Lord, help us as your body to grow in our love for one another and care. Lord, there, there are some in this room who are struggling and are afraid to tell a soul. Lord, I, I pray that, that the atmosphere and, and Lord, the flavor of this church would be such, Lord, that we would freely run to one another for support and care because we know we will receive it. Lord, grow us into this church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.